This is Ozarks at Large for September 1st, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Today is the first of two days that blood donors at the Fort Smith location of the Arkansas Blood Institute will be able to participate in a tailgate party of sorts with food, t-shirts, and more given to donors. Organizers say fewer people give blood around holiday weekends, and this promotion today and tomorrow at the Fort Smith Donor Center at 5300U is a way to offset that. More details at ourbloodinstitute.org. We begin today's show with results from a new survey of Arkansas parents. The survey, conducted in late 2021, was administered by the Office for Education Policy at the University of Arkansas with partners St. Louis University and UGov. Sarah McKenzie, the director of the Office for Education Policy at the U of A, says she thinks it's important to have information about how parents are feeling about schools in Arkansas. One result from the survey, a majority of parents think their children learned more last academic year than the previous year? It's a really important question, in particular because Arkansas, unlike most states, was in school, in person, during 2020-2021. And so to ask that sort of at the beginning of the year last year, like, how much are your kids learning now that we're sort of back on track for real, um, was great. And more than half of the parents felt that their students were learning more that year than they had during the prior year. Well, and there's this other great question that, you know, uh, the response was parents thought schools are doing great. My local one is even doing better. There's that local pride. There is a significant amount of local pride in how their schools are doing. So we asked parents to rate the schools in the state and their local schools and then their child's current school. And just like we see in national surveys, their child's school is way better than the local schools or the schools across the state. And that was consistent across all parent race and ethnicity categories. This would at least indicate you know, test scores and all of that aside, that there is a support for schools among the people, parents, whose children go there. That's exactly right. That came through really loud and clear that parents support their children's school. They feel welcome in their children's school. They think things are going well at the school. Um, And, you know, state test data may show that or may not, but it does illustrate for me that schools have a valuable resource that they can use to improve and expand learning opportunities for students. Is this an indication of goodwill between students, parents, and and schools? I believe so, absolutely. And that can be reflected in in programs and curriculum? Yeah, and I think it provides a good opportunity for schools to have communications with these parents, knowing that they support what they're doing, and be maybe a little more transparent about things that are opportunities to improve, as well as to celebrate the successes that are going on. Perhaps the least surprising result to me was that nearly 90% of parents support technical and career courses. That doesn't surprise me at all. No, it didn't surprise me either. But I think it's one of those things that maybe, you know, back in the day when we talked about it as like shop class or whatever, parents wouldn't have been so supportive. But with the new career and technical education programs that cross a variety of um, work areas from marketing to business to education to health, I think they're really becoming more robust and sort of a balance between just classroom learning and hands-on learning in the field. Not everybody is for school choice, but it does show that a big majority of Arkansas parents, or at least 
okay with school choice options. Yeah, I was really surprised about that too. Um, Over almost 90% of parents supported the two school choice scholarship systems that we have in place in the state today, and that it did vary a little bit by political ideology, but not as much as I would have expected. Um, And I thought the reasons why parents said that they would or wouldn't make use of one of those programs if they had the opportunity to, were really interesting too, because um, the the parents who said that they were likely to send this, to use a voucher to send their child to a private school, which for right now is limited to certain types of students, um, those who are in special education, foster children, military connected. Um, But parents who said that they would use it if those restrictions were lifted, first indicated the quality of private schools was their most important reason for why they would do that, which is interesting given that we know that they feel like their public schools have very good quality. And then the second thing was the school culture of private schools. But we also hear from parents that they really like the culture at their kids' public schools. So I don't see it as a threat to public schools that they are saying that they would maybe use it if it was available. I thought it was interesting that the people who said that they weren't interested in using these vouchers to go to private schools um, was they just aren't interested in private schools Mm -hmm. or private schools were too far away. And those are really, you know, practical considerations for parents. You also asked parents what they thought was the most important factor when considering a school for their daughter or their son. And you got a lot of different answers, as you expect. Yeah, we sure did. Um, And these come from other survey work that has been done, and they move from sort of building basic skills as measured by standardized tests like reading and math or promoting personal growth, including multicultural awareness. And we looked at those differences by, we looked at those rankings by um, parent race or ethnicity. And there were some really interesting differences that showed up. So white parents were most interested in building those basic skills. You know, that was really important to them. And African-American parents were mostly interested in promoting personal growth of the students. And Hispanic students' parents were really interested in that for their students, too. So my takeaway from that is that schools really need to dig in with their parents and find out what really is important to them the most and be sure they're sort of aligning the direction of their school and the education of the students with the goals of the parents in the community. This communication that can take place between schools and parents, boy, teachers have a lot to do already. Parents have and this is easy for me to say, who's never been a parent, I will admit that. At the bit. But parents have to take a big role in this communication. It's a two-way street? I think it's a two-way street for sure. Um, but I think that sometimes schools run the way that they run. And, you know, they don't have the same kind of transparency maybe with their community as they could have. Sometimes charter schools have to work a little harder at that because those parents choose to come to those schools, Mm -hmm. whereas for traditional public schools, you know, you send your kid to the neighborhood school and it runs the way it's always run and you assume everything's going to be fine. So I'm really interested in both ways, opening up the communication between those groups and the community as a whole. All right, let's talk salaries and critical race theory. Great. (laughs) Yay. Uh, Big topics. What I loved about the, the salary question is you asked parents to tell you what they thought teachers made. Yeah, I loved that idea. A lot of times in surveys, they'll say, um, 
the teacher's salary in your local school district on average is this. Do you think that's too high or too low or just right? Which provides some information, but I wanted to sort of get at what do people think teacher salaries are on average? So we asked survey respondents that there was a slider between twenty and $90,000 that they selected the amount on. And people selected the very low and the very high and everything in between. And then using the respondent zip codes, we were able to match them to their individual local school district and see what the average teacher salary really was because teacher salaries vary a lot by district in the state. And then I looked at the difference between that, and I was really surprised to see that 50% of parents responded parent respondents underestimated teacher salaries in their local district by at least $10,000. So the answer you would get from those parents was at least $10,000 less than the actual average salary. Yes. Uh, A little bit more than 10% of the respondents were $10,000 the other way. Yes. About 40%. Within range. Exactly. What does that tell us? Do do we know what that might tell us? Well, I think it's really interesting. One of the things as we're talking about this teacher shortage is that in general people think teachers make less money than they do, which is a problem from a teacher shortage perspective, right? We should be talking about how actually teachers are making more money than you think. Um, I thought it was interesting because it was across all – family income levels. There wasn't a consistent ratio between who was over or under identifying based on how much they were making. It's just sort of a persistent thing. So I think better communication about teacher salaries for real, not just that, oh, teachers don't get paid anything and it's an active service. There's a lot of great things about being a teacher. And maybe if we promote that a little bit more, more parents will be interested in their child becoming a teacher because only 25% of parents responded that they would be interested in their child becoming a teacher. All right, critical race theory. I'm glad that this was – first of all, there was a question, should schools be allowed to teach about racism, that it can exist? And six and four said, yes, they should. That's right. We split the sample. Okay. So half the sample got the question about should schools be allowed to teach about racism and how it can exist in our systems in this country. And then the other half got this question about should schools be allowed to teach critical race theory. And we can have a long discussion about About what that actually means and what people understand it to be. But for me, it illustrated the difference because 60 percent of parents agreed – that schools should be allowed to teach about racism in the systems, but only 40% were comfortable with that when it was labeled labeled as critical race theory. So, but still, 40% of those asked thought teaching about racism and its existence shouldn't be in schools anyway. They should not be allowed to do that, yes. And it varied quite a bit by um, political affiliation. Was, Was that result broken down at all by ethnicity? Um, it didn't vary much okay. by ethnicity, um, although minority populations were more likely to support both of those areas. Right. So schools don't necessarily call it critical race no. theory. No. I mean, this and is no a label. schools are teaching critical right. race theory. Right. <laughs> so I can hear a school administrator saying, okay, but we're not doing that, and something that could be out of an administrator or teacher's control. Oh, absolutely. But I think it goes back to that idea of communicating with parents. These are parents of school-age children. These are things that they're worried about. So for schools and parents to have conversations about that, I think, is really an opportunity. So the underlying theme that I'm getting from you is that 
communication, you said on both sides, opening it up, can better, can only improve the academic and school experience for children and students. I think that's absolutely the takeaway and that in order to do that, we need to have good information and be sharing good, clear information. And so that's what I'm hoping this parent survey will do. We're going to do a teacher one this year. And so we'll have ongoing information about parent perspectives and teacher perspectives that we can use when we're making policy decisions for schools. So again, I've never been a parent, so I've never had a student in public schools or in, in any schools. How does a parent know if their student is learning more? I would... Once we would get to ninth grade math, if I had a student, I wouldn't know if they were learning more or not because they would already be outpacing perhaps my knowledge. Yeah, that's it's a really difficult question. And I was hoping that maybe during COVID with so many kids doing learning online, parents would get an insight into what their kid was learning and how they were learning it. Um, for me, the best indicator is the growth scores that the school gets, and we'll be putting a report out about that later in the fall when those numbers are released. But, you know, the percentage of kids that are passing a test is highly correlated with the percentage of students in the school that are experiencing economic hardships mm -hmm. outside of school. So that's not a good indicator of how well your school is doing. For me, the better indicator is how well students are improving year to year compared to other kids in the state. And there's some districts like Springdale, just north of us, that consistently has growth scores at every school in the top 5% of the state. And they are getting it done for every kid every day, which is just phenomenal to see. Wow. So looking at those growth scores, I think, is really the important piece. And I'd love to have a conversation about that when that report comes out. Well, you have a standing invitation. <laughs> Thank can, you. Can people find this survey online? Yes, it is at oep.uark.edu. And you can just search for survey and it'll pop up. Sarah McKenzie is the director of the Office for Education Policy at the University of Arkansas. The survey was conducted in late 2021 of 500 representative Arkansas parents of school-aged children. 66% of respondents had children attending traditional public schools, 10% in public charter schools, 4% in public magnet schools, 7% in private schools. There were also parents who said they either homeschooled a child or had a child attending school through a virtual program. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Magdalene Serenity House, a nonprofit committed to helping women rebuild their lives after trauma, addiction, and incarceration, will host their inaugural event, Rebuilding Her, Thursday, September 29th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. at Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville. The event will include a five-year birthday celebration of the organization, honoring the founders of the organization and recognizing the achievements of the graduates in their recovery journeys. For more information and tickets, lovehealsnwa.org. An Ideas Summit scheduled for October in Bentonville continues to add speakers. America Leads and Ideas Summit will take place October 19th and be hosted by Governor Asa Hutchinson. The event's keynote speaker, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, was announced in June. Yesterday, it was announced Arizona Governor Doug Ducey will speak, as will former Oklahoma Congressman J.C. Watts and senior fellows at the American Enterprise Institute. The event will take place at the Momentary. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. I'm Paul Gatling. On the program today, we're going to hear from Craig Wilson. He is the Policy Director for the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. 
He will share with us his perspective on raising pay for school nurses and counselors. Also, we'll have an update from Fayetteville-based healthcare startup Linnaeus Medical. And also a rundown of what you can find in the latest issue of the Business Journal. That's all ahead after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com. First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security, member FDIC, equal housing lender. There has been a lot of focus on raising teacher salaries over the past few weeks, but there's another set of educators and healthcare professionals in public schools who also must not be overlooked. Here is Craig Wilson, the policy director for the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement, in a recent interview with Roby Brock. Let's begin with the role of school nurses and school counselors. They have changed a bit, as you uh, note in your commentary, <laughs> than from when you and I were kids in school. And I'm older than you, so uh, tell me what uh, how these roles have changed for these. Yeah, people. well, you know, um, as as with a lot of everything, right? Uh, medical uh, medical technology, um, digital technology has all become more complicated. So the way that kids learn and the way that kids uh, receive health services and they have a need for um, you know, therapeutic services, both physical and mental, um, has all become more complex. Uh, so these roles have become not only increasingly critical, uh, but more complex as well. And, and they have expanded over, over time, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, kids don't, just like with us, uh, when we come to work, they don't check their physical and, and mental health issues at the door. Um, so there is an increasing need, particularly, um, particularly given what we've seen during the pandemic, uh, to address these issues and meet kids where they are. We know we have uh, teacher shortages. We also have school nurse and school counselor shortages. Um, how dramatic is this shortage and what is driving it? Well, there's a lot of competition in the market. Um, we have, uh, particularly with school counselors, um, only about uh, 4% of Arkansas schools meet uh, the recommended ratio of one uh, per 250 kids. Um, and that's, uh, you know, something that has uh, existed over time. Uh, with school nurses, um, the, the rec recommended ratio is one per 750 uh, in, in state statute. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the funding has to be there for schools to, to meet uh, that ratio. And uh, many schools, that's for many schools, that's just not a priority. Um, you know, with with what has gone on with 
uh, in the mainly in the public eye with the teacher uh, shortage issue that that seems to uh, to be dominating the headlines. Um, I felt it necessary to really talk about these two critical roles because often people forget about other staff uh, that both support kids in their social and emotional health uh, and in their educational uh, endeavors, uh, but also support those teachers to help them uh, in the classroom meet uh, the, the needs of kids. Uh, you cite a uh, Pew Research report uh, in this article that you've written for us that uh, basically says for school nurses in particular, they may be paid ten dollars or $20,000 less than what um, a nurse working for a hospital or a physician's office may. And we have seen those salaries super oh, escalate over the last uh, you know couple of years. Um, that's going to be an issue I presume legislators are going to have to deal with and school boards and school officials are going to have to deal with. I mean, how significantly are they behind the pay uh, behind in pay? Uh, well, the report says it's about ten to twenty thousand uh, dollars difference, um, and certainly for um, you know for for school nurses who increasing salaries in the in the private sector, uh, particularly with hospitals and, and physician clinics, um, that might be very attractive for them. Of course, you know, school nursing is a very specialized uh, skill. Um, but nonetheless, um, when when those salaries outpace uh, school nursing salaries by that much, uh, it's certainly going to become attractive. And I think that um, school districts and perhaps the legislature are going to really have to recognize this issue um, and and really uh, decrease that delta so that um, you're you're maintaining these these critical roles in schools. I'm going to give you a pass on setting the odds for uh, this getting addressed in the next regular session, but I got a feeling you're going to be bringing some attention to it beyond just uh, writing for uh, us in this commentary, correct? Right, right. Um, and I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the, the School Nurse Association and School Counselor uh, Association, I'm sure they're going to be uh, right there at the forefront as well, along with school districts and, and their superintendents, because I, I think that there's been a lot of federal funding and now state funding uh, devoted to particularly mental health services in schools. And you got to find the personnel to, to deliver those services. That is Craig Wilson with the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement, discussing the need to invest in school nurses and counselors. You can watch that entire interview over on our sister website, talkbusiness.net. Fayetteville-based healthcare startup Linnaeus Medical recently announced receiving two more patents on its products, including one in Japan. The company now has nine patents from various countries, with more pending. CEO Vance Clement says the recent patents are important milestones as the company looks to expand internationally. Linnaeus Medical's breakaway medical device technology helps protect IV lines. Little Rock Hospitality Company Yellow Rocket Concepts continues to invest in Northwest Arkansas with plans for a fourth restaurant in the region. The company says it will open Fayetteville Taco and Tamale Company next spring. It will be inside Specialized Real Estate Group's new South Yard Lofts mixed-use development. That's in South Fayetteville at the intersection of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard and South School Avenue. 
Yellow Rocket Concepts also operates Bentonville Taco and Tamale Company and Rogers Restaurants Local Lime and Big Orange. And the new issue of the Business Journal is out this week. In our cover story, a profile of Terry Prentice, Senior Associate Athletic Director at the University of Arkansas. In a recent interview, Prentice said that in the first 12 months of the new name, image, and likeness era of college athletics, approximately 225 Razorback athletes, nearly half across all 19 sports, signed agreements to monetize their NIL. Combined, they totaled more than $2 million. Also in the magazine, LPGA Tour Pro Maria Fossi takes on golf inclusion with her nonprofit, and a Canadian accelerator may help Fayetteville-based CardioWise to scale. All those stories and much more are in the latest issue. You can read the digital version online at nwabusinessjournal.com. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. It's Thursday. It's time to talk live music. To help us do that, Timothy Dennis in the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. Hello, Timothy. Hello, Kyle. Not as much music as last weekend, but there's still a lot of stuff going on. Last weekend, we had a lot of folk. This weekend, there's a bit more metal on the bill. Okay. Let's start with music tomorrow night. It's not metal, but it's at George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. They're having a Hillberry pre-party featuring Eureka Strings, Country Jesus, and Friends of the Show, Arkansas. Okay. If I had a dime for every beer I drank, tell you what I'd use it for. I'd pay me a road out of diamonds and gold, right to the liquor store. And if every girl that I ever loved lined up like a telephone wire, they'd all be singing the same old song on Tabernacle Choir. And this gets us ready for Hillberry. Exactly, exactly. Tickets for that show are $18. That gets underway at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, again at George's in Fayetteville. Bit of a different kind of show in Fayetteville tomorrow night. Black Label Society is going to be on stage at JJ's Live. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Black Label Society. Tickets for that show are $35. Gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night, again at JJ's Live in North Fayetteville. Kingfish tomorrow night in Fayetteville is going to have a rock and roll bill featuring Milden Hall, Josh Hoover, and Foggy Bobcat. Free show at Kingfish gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that is in downtown Fayetteville. Happening in midtown Fayetteville, a show at Nomad's Travel Site is going to feature uh, the band's Moldy Locks, Cole Birmingham Band, and Circle of Thirds. Still trying to get the Cole Birmingham band into our studio. Stay tuned for that, hopefully within the next few months. Cover for that show tomorrow night at Nomad's Trailside in Fayetteville's $10 gets underway at 8 o'clock. 
Moving on. Tomorrow night, there is also going to be a metal show at the Arkansas Event Center, formerly known as The Rink, out on MLK. That's right. They've got a lot of bands on this bill, <laughs> including No Moss, Vor, Pantheon, Angel Flesh, Lost Cause, and Mausoleum. What time does this start? I, whenever we have one of these shows you tell me about with these multiple bands, I'm always concerned about what time they get on because I want every band to get their chance. It starts a little bit earlier. It starts at 7 o'clock. That makes sense. Tickets are $8 in advance. They go up to $10 on Friday. Again, that gets underway at 7 o'clock Friday night at the Arkansas Event Center out west on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Right. As if you're going to Farmington. Exactly. Almost to Farmington is where it is, actually. Darn near. Okay, moving on to more music tomorrow night. Up in Bentonville, the Hub Bike Lounge is going to have Nate Hancock on stage. If you're unfamiliar, he's a songwriter, producer, and performer. Has a new EP out. It's pretty good stuff. That's a free show. Gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Hub Bike Lounge in Bentonville. Happening at Butterfield Stage in Rogers tomorrow night. A few of our friends are going to be on stage. Bang and Jasper Logan. One of them our friend, one of them our co-worker. Exactly. I, mean, I would Jasper's say they're both friends. Co- yes, they're our I would both say they're friends. Both friends. Yes. I swipe my card and pray for the best. It's going to be another minute before I get a check. Mama's saying save some money, I ain't get it yet. My daddy said he sent some money, I ain't get it yet. I've been out here on my own trying to make a stretch. Stars in line, I'm just waiting today y'all connect. I'm in line and I'm telling you we coming next. I'm not lying when I'm telling you we coming next. That's on the set, I swipe my card. That being at Royal Yard Live, that's a free show. Gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Butterfield Stage in downtown Rogers. In Salem Springs tomorrow night, Creekside Tap Room is going to have Pat Ryan Key and Al Halpin on stage. More friends of the show. That gets underway again at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at Creekside Tap Room in Siloam Springs. Moving on to Saturday, 612 Coffeehouse in Fayetteville is going to have local folk singer-songwriter Peter Rexford on stage. Maybe I should write punk songs and try to massage out the scars. My pessimist musings, this harsh and this bruising won't fit on a... That is a free show. Gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday night, again at 612 Coffee House out on Weddington Drive in Fayetteville. Up in Bentonville Saturday night, Bike Rack Brewing Company is going to have the local rock and roll band Ley Lines on mm-hmm. stage. That is also a free show. Gets underway at 7 o'clock Saturday night, again at Bike Rack Brewing Company in Bentonville. Back in Eureka Springs Saturday night, New Delhi Cafe is going to have Buddy Shooting the Motivators on stage. My baby and me. Almost every time I turn around, Buddy's got a new EP that has yeah. landed in my mailbox here at KUAF. And they are celebrating the release of their latest one in a couple of weeks, I believe, here in Fayetteville. More okay. on that to come, I believe, next week. All right. The show at New Delhi Cafe this week, though, gets underway at 7 o'clock. There's no cover for that. Still in Eureka Springs Saturday night, the Gravel Bar is going to have the Southern Missouri-based singer-songwriter Avril Cates on stage.
it's underway at 7 o'clock Saturday night again at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs. Moving down to the River Valley, Temple Live in Fort Smith is going to have contemporary country rock on their stage, featuring Tyler Farr and the band Midnight South. Tickets for that show start at $29, gets underway at 8 o'clock Saturday again at Temple Live in Fort Smith. And the Majestic in Fort Smith Saturday night is going to have contemporary country on their stage, featuring Muscadine Bloodline and Taylor Honeycutt. Tickets for that show are $20 in advance, $25 on Saturday. That will get underway at 8 o'clock Saturday evening again at the Majestic in Fort Smith. Sunday, Got a Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs is going to have Dominic B. Roy on their mm-hmm. stage. Great local folk singer-songwriter. That gets underway at 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon at Got a Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs. And for many people, uh, there's no work on Monday. Exactly. So Enjoy the Labor Day holiday. There you go. Jumping ahead to next Thursday, there's still music in between those two days, but to find it, go to our website, ozarksalarge.com. But next Thursday, George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have Lucy, L-U-C-I-I, on stage. She's a touring pop star from Florida. Tickets are $20 in advance. They go up to $25 on next Thursday, and that will get underway at 8.30 p.m. And that is a week from tonight. A week from tonight. And then also a week from tonight is the monthly jazz jam at Roots HQ, uh, sponsored by the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society. You should be able to find something to do, something to watch, something to listen to within all of that. Cannot wait for live music in Cave Springs. (laughs) Thank you, Timothy. (laughs) Thank you, Kyle. Yes, I'm calling to express my appreciation and welcome to Anna Pope, the new voice at KUAF. Welcome, and she's doing an excellent job. Thank you very much. We appreciate you guys. Keep up the good work during this very difficult summer. Thanks again. If you bought a brand new car to drive to the first ever Antique Autos in the Ozarks event in Eureka Springs, you could easily exhibit that once new car in this year's Antique Autos in the Ozarks. The 51st edition returns to Pine Mountain Village September 9th through the 11th. One of the highlights, the Antique Auto Parade through downtown Eureka Springs. That's Saturday, September 10th, beginning at 11 that morning. A full schedule of events can be found at AntiqueAutoFest.com. And you can test drive, well, test row, test float, a kayak, Sunday, September 11th at Lake Dardanelle State Park. You'll join a park interpreter at the kayak beach near the visitor center to take one of the park's kayaks out for a test drive. Let's just call it that. A good opportunity for those who want to try kayaking but don't have a boat. Each test float will last just long enough for paddlers to get a feel for kayaking, but then kayaks can be rented from the visitor center when conditions allow. Participants have to be at least six years old. The kayaking will start 2 p.m. Sunday afternoon, the 11th.
This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with Keith Jarrett, American jazz and classical music pianist and composer, performing George Gershwin's I Loves You, Porgy, from the 1935 opera Porgy and Bess. The compelling duet from the original opera takes on a vibrant life on its own when performed by Jarrett. This specific performance happened live in Tokyo at the Suntory Hall and later became available as an album under the title Keith Jarrett Solo Tribute, The 100th Performance in Japan. I first came across the music of Keith Jarrett when I was a teenager and remember being fascinated not only by his expression and dexterity, but also by the fact that I could hear his voice anticipating the piano improvisations. In an interview with the National Endowment for the Arts in 2014, Jarrett says, quote, People ask me why I make the noises I make when I play. Anybody in their right mind would try to find an outlet somewhere so you know, like, if something is really happening, the passion just takes over, end quote. This is indeed a performance full of passion, love, longing, and colors. That was George Gershwin's I Loves You Porgy from a Keith Jarrett live performance at Tokyo Suntory Hall in Japan. You know that power that music has to evoke, to transform, to transport us to other times and places, past and future, to be the soundtrack of stories, to represent realities and also imagine worlds. I Love You, Porgy is one of those special songs in my life that moves us and surprises me every time I listen to it. This song has a special place in my life, and I am glad I get to share it with you today in this beautiful and unique version.
We close on Primero today with another of Gershwin's greatest hits, Someone to Watch Over Me, this time interpreted by Amy Winehouse. My partner and I visited London in 2018 and spent an evening listening to live music at London's Soho's leading late-night cocktail bar, Jazz After Dark. This bar is known for hosting up-and-coming as well as established and well-known music artists, including Amy Winehouse, who performed there frequently. So many good memories from that trip and from the magic of having been in the same place where one of the greatest singers of all times had performed. This coming weekend, my partner and I are getting married. Lisa, let this sound perimeter today be a love letter to you. And let us have music always as that trusted friend that will wrap us, shelter, transport us, and save us. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. Sound Perimeter is a segment dedicated to diverse voices in and around music. I hope it will expand your knowledge and connection to inclusive sounds and let music infiltrate your lives and transform your realities. See you soon. There's a somebody I'm longing to see I hope that he turns out to be Someone who watch over me I'm a little lamb
This is Ozarks at Large. Yesterday, we shared a conversation we had last month with Sam Peroni, a retired lawyer who has constructed a legit baseball field in his backyard west of Fayetteville. We talked with him as the annual Peroni Field Youth Baseball Tournament was taking place. It was there to raise awareness and funds for the Alzheimer's Association. That Saturday, we also talked with Kirsten Dickens, the executive director of the Arkansas Chapter of Alzheimer's Association. We talked with her about the organization's work. The Alzheimer's Association, you know, is really the primary group that is really accelerating research. We're advancing care and support. We're looking at whatever we can do to really promote brain health and early detection and diagnosis. So we advocate, we fundraise, and really we're working to accelerate research. Arkansas is a state with an older population, a lot of I remember seeing a statistic about how many boomers are getting past 65 and 70. Of course, that's when cognitive issues become more prevalent. It's important for Arkansas to be aware of brain health, right? Absolutely. You know, one misconception is that dementia is inevitable as we age. And while age is the greatest risk factor for developing Alzheimer's or another type of dementia, it is not normal cognitive decline due to aging. It is a disease. And so we really try to stress for individuals and families to have conversations early if they notice changes, behavioral changes or, you know, any type of cognitive behavior that may indicate something is off. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's dementia due to Alzheimer's or another disease. You know, sometimes it could be medication. Uh, But there are so many things that individuals and families can do early on to really improve the the long-term effect of of how you're going to live with this, um, you know, and really make sure that you're able to sustain a productive um, life as well. Uh, You know, we have over 65,000 Arkansans uh, over the age of 65 living with Alzheimer's or another type of dementia. And you mentioned that our population is aging, you know, and so really there's a preventative component that we need to be paying attention to as well. And it is similar to those, you know, modifiable risk factors or, or, you know, practices that we can put into place that can really enhance our health in the beginning are similar to what we see in other diseases, right? Like heart disease. So staying active, staying social, a healthy diet, getting adequate sleep, um, you know, and taking care of your heart. If you have heart, uh, cardiovascular issues, you really need to make sure that you are managing that through medication and through your healthcare provider, because we know that is what is good for the heart is good for the brain. And I believe you have um, uh, help, uh, people can access help for having those conversations with someone who you might want to talk about. Absolutely. So the Alzheimer's Association has education programs throughout the state through different partners. Um, We also have resources on our website, alz.org. We can give suggestions to individuals and families. We can also, you know, give some information about what you should be looking for if you have suspicions. I think our helpline is really the most underutilized but most robust resource that we offer 24-7 
person. People can call it any time of day. It's free. Uh, it, you know, and really you could call with a basic question. Maybe you need some tip sheets and we can send that to you. But maybe you're in crisis. Uh, you know, maybe your loved one is presenting with some agitation. Uh, maybe, you know, they've wandered and you need us to help you connect to 911 or adult protective services. Or maybe you really need some tools to work through something that may be happening with sunsetting behaviors or something else. Um, you know, and we, we hate that more people are not uh, aware that this resource exists. So, yeah, there are so many opportunities that we have to really help guide families through this. What is that number? It is 1-800-272-3900. I don't mean this to sound flippant. So I'm 59, and, you know, as you age, you begin to, oh, forget things or something. And I mean... Is there some sort of self-awareness or, or help that you can get just to make sure that you're not overreacting? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the resources that we provide is Know the Ten Signs. And so, you know, of course, I'm just one of those people that is not great with names. Um, that's not, uh, you know, a predictor of Alzheimer's or dementia. It's really some other key behaviors. And so we really like people to be educated to that. But I think being your own advocate or if you are a family member of someone you're concerned about, being their advocate. You know, we definitely see differences in generations. Our senior population, you know, they have a different mindset when it comes to, um, you know, approaching or advocating for themselves or approaching their own health care. Um, you know, they may feel like, well, if my provider doesn't say something to me or they don't recognize it when I'm in their office for 15 minutes, then I'm fine. If you notice changes, you really need to advocate and ask questions for yourself or your loved one. Um, like I said, intervening early can really change how someone walks through this and how a family walks through this and being prepared. We just can't underscore that enough. There's so much quality of life, even if you are living with dementia, that you have, you know, left and left to contribute as well. And so um, being prepared and, and being educated uh, can really enhance that. Finally, there is the uh, annual walk taking yeah. place in Rogers at Pinnacle Hills. What should we know about that? Yeah, so we're so excited about the walk. You know, after COVID, we're really excited for this to be the second year that we're back walking in person. We still have a virtual option if people are more comfortable or they're traveling and they need to participate, uh, you know, virtually or, you know, from the comfort of their own home or in their neighborhood. Excited to be back at Pinnacle Hills. It's been a great venue for us. Um, you know, and, and really, this is our signature event. We have over 600 walks across the country, five here in Arkansas, and the Northwest Arkansas Walk kicks it off on September 16th. So really excited to um, enter that season and, and be with everyone. It's a hopeful event. Uh, you know, Alzheimer's disease can be really isolating. And one of the, my favorite things about this event is that it becomes very apparent that you are not alone. Kirsten Dickens is the executive director of the Arkansas chapter of Alzheimer's Association, and our conversation was recorded last month at a youth baseball tournament in Fayetteville. That tournament was raising funds and awareness for Alzheimer's Association. By the way, the phone number that Kirsten mentioned is 800-272-3900. It operates 24 hours a day, and you can learn more about the organization's work at alz.org. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Omaha. Contributors today included 
Timothy Dennis, Leo Uribe, and Paul Gatling. Timothy produced today's show and today's Sound Perimeter inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. Don't forget, you can hear more news from the region and state tomorrow morning and every weekday morning at 5.30 and 7.30 with Daniel Carruth's newscast delivered from the Karen Taha News Studio. That takes place every weekday during Morning Edition on KUAF. Timothy Dennis and I will be back with a new edition of Ozarks at Large tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF and with you at any time on the Ozarks at Large podcast. Tomorrow, another conversation with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics to help us wrap up a week's news, and we'll preview another busy late summer weekend throughout the region with Becca Martin-Brown, the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and we'll get your holiday weekend started a bit early with some of the music from the Saturday afternoon sessions of the Fayetteville Roots Festival last weekend that took place for free at the Fayetteville Public Library. All of that and a bit more on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large. Thank you for being with us for this Thursday Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callums.